Well, our Bible reading this afternoon is taken from uh, the first letter of John, and starts in chapter 1. If you are using one of the Red Church Bibles, you'll find it on page 1,225. Not John's Gospel, it's John's first letter. Chapter 1, and we're starting to read at verse 5. It will be up on the screen, I believe. Let's hear God's word. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Steve's going to come and uh, explain more about that part of his word just now. Thank you. I think we've half emptied the baptistry in the uh, task of coming out, but never mind. Can I just begin by saying thank you to friends and family and um, to all of you for coming this afternoon. It's been a real encouragement, I'm sure, to the young people being baptized to see you here. An encouragement and a little bit nerve-wracking, I know, for for many, if not all of them. So thank you for being here this afternoon. And just a word of thanks as well for those of you who've helped with the practical side of the baptistry in the church and you brought cakes along. Um, It's all much appreciated by us all. Well, to round off the service this afternoon, I just want to spend a few minutes reflecting on one Bible verse, on one verse from the Bible. And that was from the passage that John, uh, that John, wasn't John, it was Steve, that Steve just read to us. And it's a verse that Sam has already mentioned in his testimony. 1 John 1 verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he, that's God, is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Just three simple things I want us to notice from that verse this afternoon. The first one is this. We all have sins to confess to God. We all have sins to confess to God. You know, the Bible clearly tells us that God is our maker. He is our creator. He's also the one who provides for us. He gives us everything that we need and often much more besides. He's our king. 
he's also our judge, the one to whom we are accountable for how we use our lives. And the Bible says that it is God who gives us commandments to live by, both for our own good and for his glory. As we look at the Bible, we do have commandments from God, which he gives to us for our own good. And the Bible also reminds us that our God is worthy. He deserves our praise, our love, our obedience, our trust, our awe, our respect, and our honor. But John's mentioned this already. So often, we can live with no regard for our God or for his good commandments to us. So often, we're tempted to ignore God, to ignore his commandments, to disobey him, to disrespect him, we might say, to bring him dishonor. To use that Bible word, so often we all sin. We all break his commandments. We all dishonor him. At times we are all sinners. Maybe this afternoon you're sitting there and you want to object to what I'm saying, calling you and me a sinner. You might sit there thinking, I'm a respectable person on the whole. Yes, I have my faults, but I am a good person. Well, maybe outwardly, you are a respectable person, but you are still a sinner. Can I challenge you with this? Can I challenge myself with this? What about those sins that only God sees? What about those sins that respectable people might be good at hiding, but that still go on in our hearts? So often we can succumb to jealousy or hatred or lust or covetousness, or self-centeredness, or pride, or greed, or irritability, or discontentment, selfishness, thanklessness, laziness. All of these are sins that can happen inside the heart, do happen inside the hearts of the most respectable people. Would I like, would you like, as respectable as we think we are, to have our thought lives projected onto the screen at the front I don't know about you, I think I do know about you, but I know I wouldn't like what goes on in my head very often to be projected for all to see. And maybe at those times when we're tempted to think that we're not sinners, that we really are respectable, we ought to consider the two greatest commandments that the Lord Jesus Christ himself reminded us of. The Lord Jesus told us that the greatest commandment was to love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love others as you love yourself. Again, do we really obey God's commandments? I don't think so. We fall far short of them. In fact, the Bible clearly says that each and every one of us are sinners in need of God's forgiveness. Steve just read to us from 1 John chapter 1, a couple of verses around the verse that Sam uh, mentioned in his testimony. The Apostle John says there, If we, that's if you and if I, claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Or to put the same thing another way, if we claim we have not sinned, we make God out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Elsewhere in the Bible, we're told that each and every one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and each of us has turned to his own way. Maybe you're tempted to sit there this afternoon and say, well, nobody's perfect. And of course, you'd write, nobody is perfect. Every one of us in this room 
falls short of God's standards. And yet that is not an excuse. It's not a way to bypass God's standards. No, it simply makes all of us this afternoon, outside of a relationship with Jesus, guilty before God. We're all guilty before God in and of ourselves, whether we're younger or older, whether we're male or female, whether outwardly we're respectable or not, whether we're religious or irreligious or non-religious, all of us are guilty before God outside of Jesus. Again, sometimes we're tempted to think, well, aren't we all made in the image of God? And we are, and each and every one of us in this room is capable of noble and good acts. But you know in your heart, like I do, that often even our most noble things, the best things that we do, are spoilt by wrong motives, often by pride or self-promotion. And neither do these good acts that we do negate or counterbalance, if you were, the bad acts that we have committed in the past. Without God's forgiveness, we all stand condemned, guilty before him, before our perfect, holy, righteous, and awesome God. It's been wonderful to see the four young people baptized, four little sinners. Four big sinners, looking at some of them these days. Young sinners, but sinners nonetheless, like you and like me. And that's bad news for all of us. It's bad news, but we all have sins to confess to God. But, number two, if we confess our sins, God will forgive us. We've had the bad news but there is good news too. Our God is an awesome God. He's majestic. He's holy. He's perfect. He's totally fair and just. We've been singing about some of his characteristics in the songs this afternoon. But also, our God is merciful. He's forgiving. He's loving. And he is gracious. The Bible says in one place that he is rich in mercy. Elsewhere it says he is forgiving and good abounding in love to all who call on him. And because he is a merciful God, he will forgive us if we confess our sins to him. Again, some of us might be a little bit confused. What does confess mean? What does it mean to confess our sins? Well, it's nothing to do with going to a priest. Nothing to do with a confessional in that sense. What does confess mean? Well, firstly, it means that we admit that we are sinners in need of God's forgiveness. Secondly, to confess means that we turn from the wrong we have done and we turn to God. We repent, another Bible word. It means we turn from the wrong things in our lives and turn to God seeking his forgiveness. Thirdly, confess means that we ask God to forgive us, not just in our words, not just outwardly, but genuinely from the heart. We ask God to forgive us, to cleanse us, to wash away all the sins that we have committed. And then fourthly, to confess means that we trust that God will forgive us because of Jesus Christ. More about him in a moment. Now, this is such a wonderful promise of God. We can make promises, can't we? And sometimes we don't keep them. Sometimes we can't keep them. But our God always keeps his promises. And he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us 
from all unrighteousness. God's forgiveness cannot be earned through our good works, through going to church or giving to charity or being religious or a good person. Rather, God's forgiveness is a free gift to all of us who ask him for it, whether, again, we're younger or older, richer or poorer, religious or not. Again, the Bible tells us that if we confess our sins, our God will remember them no more. He will not hold them against us ever again. There's some wonderful pictures in the Bible to help us understand what it means for God to forgive our sins. In one place, it describes forgiven sins as if crushed underfoot. Imagine your sins under your foot being crushed into dust. That's how God deals with our sin when we ask him to. It also says that our sins are dealt with as if they were thrown to the bottom of the sea, out of sight, out of mind, never to be seen again. It's as if God removes them from us as far as the east is from the west. Or if you like, it's as if he's washed us clean of our sin. And maybe a picture there in baptism of our sins being washed away by our God. And that's something that our four young people this afternoon have all done. They've asked our God to forgive their sins and he's forgiven them. Their past sins, their present sins, the sins that they will commit in the future and they will, as Sam said. But they are all forgiven by our God when we really truly confess them to him. Now these four young people have eternal life. They are adopted into God's family. They are children of God. He's washed them, he's cleansed them from their sins as pictured in their baptism. If we confess our sins, God will forgive us. And then thirdly, finally, God can be just towards us and forgive us our sins because of Jesus. Maybe this afternoon you want to say, wait a minute, hang on a minute, Stephen. Maybe you've spotted a potential problem, even a contradiction, in what I have been saying. How can God be a completely fair and just judge towards a sinner like me, and at the same time be a loving and forgiving saviour? How can God be both perfectly fair and forgiving at the same time? Let me put the problem another way. In one part of the Bible, it tells us that God is merciful and forgiving and loving, gracious and faithful. And then in our next breath, or in the Bible's next breath rather, it tells us that God will not leave the guilty unpunished. Guilty people like you and me. So how can God maintain his justice and forgive us our sins? Our sins which mean that we're guilty before him and mean we're deserving of eternal punishment. You know, God can't simply look upon our sins and sweep them under the carpet as they were. He can't ignore them. If God were to do that, he'd be no longer be fair or just. What would we think of a judge who set a murderer free simply because they were genuinely sorry for what they had done? Such a judge might be a forgiving and a merciful judge, but he'd also be an unfair and unjust judge. 
So let me repeat the question. How can God maintain his justice and forgive our sins? And the answer is because of Jesus. You see, Jesus Christ was and is God's one and only son. The son whom God loved and loves. Jesus was and is fully man and at the same time fully God. Something that we can't get our human minds around. Jesus was and is completely sinless, completely good, morally perfect. He's the only person who has ever been so. But in love, God the Father sent his son Jesus into the world to die for sinners like you and me. In love, Jesus willingly came to die for sinners. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he died as a punishment for sins. He died as a punishment for sins. But not for his own sins. No, Jesus was sinless. Rather, Jesus died on the cross in the place of sinners like you and me. You know, Jesus died receiving the fair and just punishment of God for sins, for rebellion, for disobedience, but not Jesus' own, but for that of others. In fact, the Bible tells us that Jesus died for the sins of everyone who would ever confess their sin to God, for everyone who would ever repent, for everyone who would ever trust in Jesus. Jesus died as a substitute. In other words, Jesus died taking the place of others. He died so that they might be forgiven, that they might be set free. If we look at John's words in 1 John 1 and 2, he says that Jesus died as an atoning sacrifice. In other words, Jesus gave up his life for sinners like us to make amends for our sin. From a human perspective, the death of Jesus seemed like a tragic event brought about by wicked men. But from God's perspective, it was all part of God's plan to maintain his justice, but also to bring forgiveness to his people through the work of his son. In the New Testament, Peter wrote, Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. So back to the original question. How can God maintain his justice and forgive our sins? By paying the price of sins himself on behalf of his people through the death of Jesus on the cross. That's how God can be faithful and just and forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What kind of God would do that for his people? Would send his son to die in their place, in the place of his people, a God of such amazing love. One hymn says, amazing love, how can this be that you, my God, should die for me? And back to these four young people. They've been forgiven their sins because of the amazing love of God for them displayed through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. They picked some wonderful songs, in my opinion at least this afternoon, that we've been singing. And they've all been cross-filled songs all about the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what our God did for his people out of love towards us. That's what Jesus did out of love for his people. God can be just towards us and forgive us our sins because of Jesus. 
Well, all of that just leaves a question for me to pose to you this afternoon. Have you confessed your sins to your creator and your king? If not, then we can all do so this afternoon. We can all simply pray to our God and through Jesus ask for the forgiveness of our sins. God promises forgiveness to all, whoever they are, who confess their sins to him. You know, God is rightly and justly angry with us for our rebellion and our sin against him unless we are in Christ, unless we trust in Jesus. And we have two alternatives. Either we can bear the consequences of our sin forevermore, that's the prospect we should all fear, or we should do what the four young people have done over the last few weeks, months, and years. We can ask our God to forgive our sins through the work of Jesus on the cross. So this afternoon, come to him now, seek his forgiveness, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father God, we do thank you that part of your amazing grace towards us is that you help us to understand something of ourselves and something of you. And we pray, Father God, I pray, Father God, that you would all help us to understand that we fall short of your glory and that you would be just in dealing with us in that way. But Father God, we thank you that you also reveal to us that you are a merciful, a forgiving and a loving God And I pray that you would help us to confess our sins before you, to put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and to be a forgiven people. Help us to see our great need and the even greater solution which is offered to us. We thank you for all the blessings of this afternoon. We pray that you continue to bless these four young people, for Naomi, for Ben, for Sam, for Amy. Be close to them. Would you protect them over the coming days? Help them to glorify you and to rejoice in you and all that you have done. But Father, we thank you for the good news of Jesus. And we pray all these things in his name. Amen.